0: scripture reading this morning is a reading from the good news according to Matthew Matthew 13 31 to 33 and 44 to 52 he put before them another parable the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took took and sowed in his field it is the smallest of all the seeds but when it was has grown It is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls on finding one pearl of great value he went and sold all that he had and bought it again the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out his treasure what is new, brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
1: So this morning... I have the privilege of welcoming Brian Pankratz as our guest speaker. Uh, Brian came to the United Church after many years serving within the Baptist tradition and I'm hoping to hear a little bit of that in your preaching this morning, a little bit of that Baptist. Brian sent an email a couple of days ago, he said, how long do people normally preach at St. George's? I said, oh about an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. So you can see he has pages and pages here, he's ready to go. There, but uh, I corrected him down. I said 20 minutes is usually sufficient. He recently completed work at the uh, Vancouver School of Theology to transfer to the United Church and was approved as a candidate for the order of ministry in the United Church this year. Uh, He lives in Nanaimo and is currently looking for a congregation to serve as his supervised ministry site in which to serve. Let's extend a hearty St. George's welcome to Brian. Welcome.
2: Of course, the real reason I'm here is because your sign said you had room for one more hypocrite. So keep that in mind as I ramble on for an hour and 20 minutes. There are two statements that should turn your world upside down each and every time you hear them. These two statements should never get old. Once hearing them and contemplating them and seeing your life through the lens of these statements, everything you thought about existence and what you believe should change dramatically. Here they are. Number one, there is... A God. There is a God. There is someone beyond and within our experience of life. Imagine a highly conscious goldfish recognizing for the first time the feeding hand that brings supper every day. That goldfish's life would be irrevocably changed by this mystery and by this awareness. Its world will have been supernaturally expanded. That's how significant this statement is. There is a God. What is the obvious goal of such a feeding hand for the goldfish? Simply put, to care for the goldfish. So then what would be the obvious goal of a supreme being who holds the universe together? Well, I think it would be the same, to care for us. Therefore, we have nothing to fear from the hand that feeds us. And what might be the purposes of our creator besides just caring for us? Well, for me, it's not a stretch to surmise that we should be growing in our relationship with divine as much as we are able and even participating with God for the care of our planet and all its creatures so that we can all flourish and thrive as we live our lives participating in and with the hands of God. Statement one, there is a God. Statement two, the universe that God holds together is at least 13.8 billion years old. Some recent estimates have actually doubled that, but I'm not going to go there today. Our earth itself is estimated to be 4.5 billion years years old. Of course our brains have a hell of a time comprehending the gravity of these statements. The numbers are just too big. So let's use a 24-hour clock as an analogy. So if the dawn of modern humans was 300,000 years ago and if the Earth's 4.5 billion year existence represents a 24-hour day Then humans have dwelled here for approximately, anyone want to guess? Three seconds. You're really close, whoever said four. There you go. Take a victory lap. Get her a sticker. Three seconds. Our Christian faith tradition started 0.2 seconds ago. That's how young we are and how old the earth is. These two statements that there's a supreme being and that the universe that this supreme being holds together is at least 13.8 billion years old should jar us into thinking differently about everything, including the Bible. When we read a religious book like the Bible that's been around for about half a second, at the very least we should read it with a deep humility. Recognizing not only the divine golden thread of love within his pages. But also all of the human and cultural influences that formed it. These revelations about God and the universe should, in my opinion, implore us to develop a healthy hermeneutic of skepticism when it comes to the text. And we should be less certain and less dogmatic. About our interpretations. That's actually one of the reasons why I left the Baptist tradition. Perhaps that's why Jesus taught that the Spirit would be our teacher. One thing that becomes obvious based on these two life altering statements that God exists and that the universe is old is that the universe works slow, it takes its time, it works through incremental change. We call it evolution. Yet at the same time sometimes the universe and this is going on in the universe they work fast. With the occasional big bang release of dynamic energy. So when we read about the kingdom of God which we just did. Thank you reader for your lovely reading. <coughs> or as I like to think of it, the lived-out principles of God that are woven into the fabric of reality itself, we should expect to see a correlation between how the kingdom of God functions and how the universe seems to function. We should see slow and small and incremental with the occasional dynamic burst of energy. And we do. Let's take a quick peek at some of these parables in Matthew 13. 31 goes like this, verse 31. Jesus put before them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, as I mentioned before, I understand the kingdom as the lived out principles of God that are woven into the world. Principles of love, forgiveness, kindness. And they're always lived out in community. You can call these principles the kingdom of God, the Logos, the spirit, the universal Christ, the Tao, the way of wisdom, the Dharma, There's lots of words to describe the patterns of this instigating presence of the Spirit of God in the world. Creating like a a world within our world. It's like here's our world that everyone's living in, and within that world, there's another world of people who are living in alignment with the precepts of God. Love, joy, peace, kindness, patience. That's the kingdom of God. There's this world within a world that Jesus calls the kingdom. In my mind, the seed that is planted and grows into this big tree is any healing word or act of love that is intended to repair and heal the world and the people in it. So, in this parable, the mustard seed, we see these universal patterns. The seed is planted, time passes. Incremental change occurs and eventually a tree is formed. And that tree lives not for itself, but for others. For the birds. Let me give, I was gonna give you an example from my own life, but then when I was driving up here, I heard a better example on this podcast that I was listening to, which was about uh, the Republican uh, presidential primaries going on in the states. Uh, Brian Taylor Cohen was interviewing, um, I didn't write his name down, but they were talking, they switched topics and they were talking about this 93 year old woman, Selena Karp Biniaz, who was the youngest girl on Schindler's list. I don't know if anyone of you caught that interview or you've heard this story. Um, So she came, she survived the Holocaust. She was uh, freed. And when she got out, she was filled with hate and anger, as you would expect. But then she met this German nun who taught her about love, joy and peace and forgiveness. And she was, her life was radically changed and she became a teacher, of special needs kids, I think. And through her life, she has touched the lives of hundreds of children and more through her story that she tells now publicly. That's the kingdom of God. The seeds of the kingdom of God, planted by open-hearted people, beginning in small, seemingly insignificant ways, yet often yielding exponential growth. Then Jesus tells them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Three measures of flour with some yeast is going to make enough bread to feed 100 people. The principle is the same. A small amount of yeast over time creates enough food for 100 people. The implication, of course, is that any act of love, however small, has the potential to permeate any situation in this secret, inconspicuous way. And in time, what was once small becomes something big. As uh, Brother Keith mentioned, I recently graduated from the Vancouver School of Theology, and I've been waiting for my readiness interview for a long time. I just had it in May. As I was waiting, I wasn't doing too much seed planting or partnering up with God or tapping into these universal principles, living in the world within the world a little but not much. Then my friend, this spirit-filled friend of mine, met with me and she spoke and encouraged me to not just sit on your hands while you're waiting. She said, go lead a group at your church. So I did. 18 people attended regularly for 15 weeks as we went through that United Church book on uh, building the beloved community. Um, During that time, those 70 minutes together each week, we shared our lives, we learned together. And that one small word of encouragement from my friend resulted in the changed lives of 19 people, including me, the leader of the group. And all of us have gone forward, planting more seeds than we were before that group existed. Again, the kingdom of God. Because in this universe, when we partner with God, the Spirit of God will inhabit even the smallest, seemingly insignificant beginnings And the result will be eventual life-giving healing for those around us. It's a principle hardwired into the universe that comes to life by those who live intentionally in this realm of God with others. The last three parables are about the mindset of those who recognize the presence of God in their world and want to participate with it goes like this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and reburied and their joy, in their joy they go and sell all that they have and buy that field. Or a merchant who find, finds one pearl of great value, they went and sold all they had and they bought it. The point is simple, participation in the kingdom of God is such a special privilege that to be a part of it, one should be willing to give up almost everything. Now, of course, there is this element of self-interest in these two stories. Both of the characters got rich. But why wouldn't there be self-interest? When we're participating with God in the healing of the world, we're participating with God. Remember our initial statement, there is a God. And we get to participate with God. As the kids say, mind blown kids still say that? Kids? No. Whatevs. They say that. (laughs) Who wouldn't want to join? Self-interest? Obviously, because it's awesome. Remember when I said that we have to have some humility and skepticism when we read the Bible? You know, eat the meat, spit out the bone and the gristle. Here's an example. The next verses kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, put the good into baskets, threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, it makes sense to me that there's some repercussions for not being involved with love and with God and with the kingdom. It makes sense that if you resist the fundamental principles of the universe about love and forgiveness, that there might be some personal consequences. If you try and resist the spirit of love, and we may be those people sometimes, we have a bad day, a bad year, series of years, when we resist God's spirit, and we know there's a reckoning that happens, there's a price to be paid, there's a judgment of sorts, we will receive negative outcomes because... When we resist the spirit of love, we resist God, and that's the negative. Um, that's the negative outcome. That's the worst loss of all—missing out on God. That's worse than gnashing of teeth. But to go further and have all this stuff about this binary between good and evil, and a furnace, and gnashing of teeth, like that's not how I experience God. In fact, in fact, that kind of talk, it really grieves the spirit that is alive in me it sounds more like something a later editor added to the saying of jesus to scare people to manipulate people so therefore i just reject it not gonna not gonna go with that one and we're allowed to do that jesus was pretty uh, imaginative with the old testament scriptures so was paul they all were they rejected some and kept the other that bit Then Jesus says, have you understood all this? They probably lied and said, yes. Yes. And Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. In other words, if you're a person who has devoted yourself to the healing of the world and you've made some of the necessary sacrifices to participate in the kingdom of heaven... You're like a master of a household. You're what Jesus would call a scribe or a disciple. And you will get better at it over time. And you will begin to recognize what is new and what is old. This was spoken into the context of this new Jesus-centered religion that was being formed out of this traditional Jewish religion. And in places and in certain times, they were at odds with each other. Not always, but often. But Jesus, as the representative of God and the ambassador of God's lived out principles of love, has a non-binary take on things. He says there's room for all perspectives, the old and the new. And a wise disciple or a wise scribe can see the beauty of the old ways and at the same time encourage and support the new initiatives. Jesus, of course, is talking about organizational change. Now, a lot of research has been done into organizational change. And what they've discovered is, and this is very relevant to churches, is that leaders who are only committed to the existing blueprints and the existing plans are the ones that are at the greatest peril for future, for failure. Sometimes the greatest indicator of failure is initial success. It's so hard to transition from the existing world that used to work into the new world. And the underlying problem here is not that the intransient businesses or churches can't transition, but that they are stuck in this binary either or thinking. They're stuck either focusing on the way they've always done things or leaning into the ways that they're going to have to do for the future. Businesses and church leaders that fail don't find ways to live in both the old and the new at the same time. Jesus seems to be arguing here for a type of creative integration, a classic win-win, to find the ideal solution that accommodates both sides of competing demands. This is extremely relevant to us in this age of declining memberships while all around our empty churches is a growing interest amongst people that don't go to church in spirituality. It's like interest is up, membership, attendance is down. The subject matter about partnering with God for the healing of the world could not be more relevant for us in the United Church. Apparently, we're closing one church a week in Canada with more on the horizon. But we were doing so good in the 50s and the 60s We were doing so good that we neglected to prepare ourselves for this dramatically changed situation. And don't take this from me. I don't have a lot of street cred within the United Church. Like like I mentioned, I'm a Baptist church planter and preacher. Take it from Michael Blair, our general secretary and a former Baptist like me. He was also in the Fellowship Baptist Church. And he said the same thing, but more eloquently. In his convocation speech at the graduation ceremony that I mentioned last May. Michael Blair, he preached about three reasons why the Christian church in the West is in steep decline. One, we're still enamored. Oh, I'm at 20 minutes. I'm going too over. Okay. That's right, you guys are are a good church. You welcome hypocrites. He said, said, we're still enamored with Christendom. You see, Christianity is not the dominant or culturally pervasive religion in Canada anymore. But apparently, we're still enamored with that period. And we still do church the exact same way we did back then. Because we haven't gotten over its death yet. Number two, he said, we've neglected the power of the gospel. We've lost touch with the spirit of God that pervades all life. And we've stopped sharing the words and doing the actions that repair the world and draw people to god third thing he said the reason is we become unwilling to take imaginative risks so let's wrap this up we could continue to do church the way we've always done it same prayers same candles same hymns same books same pomp whatever liturgy i like all that stuff don't get me wrong but i value the old But we don't want to be museums of how religion was done in the 50s, in the 60s. We need to change. Especially when there's thousands of people interested in God living outside of our community. So let's get in step with the yeast and the mustard seed. Let's sell all that we have to buy that treasure field and the pearl of great price. Let's value the old ways. But also take bold chances on the new ways. Always trusting in these universal principles of incremental growth accompanied with bold action. Believing that when God's spirit is involved, small becomes big and insignificant becomes awesome. Thanks be to God.
1: Please stand as we sing Seek Ye First the Kingdom of God together.